1: You need to look at your investments today. Yeah, check the one-year chart too. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. I'm Ricky Malvi, joined today by Nick Siple. Nick, good to see you.
2: Great to be back here with you, Ricky. I mean, on Mardi Gras as a, as a Mobile, Alabama native, the home of Mardi Gras in the U.S., it's a great day for me, and I'm excited to be here with you.
1: Happy Mardi Gras. Not so happy day for the stock market. Got an inflation report that it wasn't too... Uh, not, not celebrating quite like they are down in Mobile, Alabama and in Louisiana. Market appears to be taking a breather as the CPI print came out to 3. And we got to use decimals here. I'm sorry. 3.1% on the year. The Economists wanted 2.9%. This is a rounding error, Nick. I mean, is this, is this really a bad report or is this an excuse to sell?
2: Maybe both. I guess I would answer your question, yes, not either or, just yes. Uh, it's a bad report just in the sense that it came in worse than expectations for some market participants out there. That is a reason to sell. As we all talk about or know, valuations reflect expectations about the future. The higher those expectations are, the more the market is going to react when reality fails to match those. Foolish investors are probably familiar with what happens when companies report earnings and businesses you know, put out results that are different than the market expects. We'll talk about an earnings report. Here in a little bit, macro also responds to expectations. I mean, in this case, we've seen the market coming in today was up over five percent year to date. In part, that was driven by expectations that the Fed might be getting ready to cut interest rates following today's uh, inflation report. Market expectations for a Fed rate cut in March have fallen down to below ten percent. A month ago, um, those uh, those expectations were discounting a seventy percent chance of a rate cut. And so that change in expectations, how it affects valuation models, really is what's driving the selling today.
1: I mean, the Fed's not just looking at a 0.2% miss. It's it's looking for the long-term trends, and that still appears to be good on inflation. I, I don't know. It always seems like those equity analysts are a little quick on the trigger to me. Let's look inside the report. There is some good news for people who buy stuff because inflation overall is slowing down. You've got used vehicle prices down about 3.5%. Overall grocery prices down about the same amount. Apparel down about a little less than a percent. The bad news, it's always mixed. You got shelter prices up on the month, 6% year over year. I mean, it doesn't look like a, a huge a huge deal to me. I saw a headline in the New York Times that said, Stocks sink is sub- stubborn inflation resets Fed forecasts. I mean, this, this is alarmist, Nick.
2: You know, it could be. If you want to look on the bright side, the rate of the change is slowing down. We still have inflation coming in at 3.1 percent. That's slower than what we saw in December at 3.4 percent. So we're slowly but surely ticking down toward you know that that 2 percent target that, that the Fed goes after. However, I do think you know this stickiness of inflation, this sticking around for longer than the market expects, you know, shows that inflation is is. Uh, stickier than the market had expected. and I, I think historically you know expectations about inflation are, are are real drivers of inflation. It could mean that you know uh, market expectations maybe have, have stuck in. I will say looking at that um, you know that shelter price inflation, Number we still remain in a market where where real estate is scarce. You, you see that in the valuations. of Companies out there in the market, limited resale inventory leads brokers really having a tough time. But folks selling new homes are, are, are at all time highs and really really sitting pretty. And I think that's that's part of what we're seeing in, in uh, uh, you know that that shelter inflation number.
1: Maybe a reason to look at some home builders. Let's move to the the Shopify earnings. What a what a tough day to to release earnings that miss a couple of expectations for a growth stock. The earnings in the stock, though, tell them two very different stories. Usually, you hear about you know a, a company beats earnings, but then they issue softer guidance, so the stock falls. That's that's the PayPal story from from about a week ago. This time, we've got an earnings beat. We've got a swing to operating profitability. How about that year for a f- year of efficiency? Guiding for twenty percent revenue growth. That's in line with Wall Street expectations. And the stock is down more than ten percent this morning. What's the street so fussy about?
2: Yeah, so again it comes down to expectations. As you mentioned, revenue growth, uh, guidance strong. However, operating expenses are going to come in a little bit heavier than the market was anticipating. As you said, you know, look at this this fourth quarter, this quarter just completed really strong performance, hard to argue with any of those numbers, revenue up 30% when you exclude the divestment of the logistics business uh, You know, in, in 2023. It was the largest revenue quarter in the company's history. Gross profit delivered another company record up 33%, free cash flow margin at 21%. Shop Pay doing very well. Gross merchandise volume up 32% year over year. Now use it used on 60% of transactions on the platform. Even offline, the company is doing very well. Offline gross merchandise value up over 20% year over year. So looking backwards, numbers great everywhere. Looking forwards. Again, if you look at the revenue number, great. You cited that 20% revenue growth number. If you exclude the logistics business, again, which has been divested, you're looking at more like a 25% plus revenue growth rate, which is pretty good. Gross margin expected to expand. That's good. But again, as I mentioned, operating expenses is where the problem shows up. Guidance calls for a low teens increase in operating expenses. If you, you trickle that forecast down, you're looking at an operating uh, income number somewhere in the 100. 70 plus million dollars versus expectations we're in the 380 plus million dollars uh, you know uh, for, for analysts out there in the market you're also seeing free cash flow margin expected to fall meaningfully down to a high single digit percentage of revenue from over 20 percent we just saw in the most recent quarter it is interesting though driving into those I- increases in operating expenses uh, management said there's two things behind that increase uh, one is employee costs so the company is citing payroll taxes that they're going to have to to Uh, manage in the next uh, uh, coming quarter, as well as uh, employee compensation increases. Although you're not going to increase headcount, folks do have some of these raises that kick in um, at at the start of the year. But the other one is a little bit more interesting, which is is marketing expenses. Uh, uh, The company says it's going to push harder on performance marketing claims to have improved its performance marketing. Performance saying, quote, it's unlocked some opportunities to reach potential customers at highly attractive lifetime value to customer acquisition costs and payback periods, including reducing payback by over 30 percent the use of AI and automation. So, really, they're saying our marketing is performing better than expected. We think we can get better results than we've seen in the past. We're going to push even harder um, on spending. If they're right, this increased spending today will result in significant returns in the future. So, we shouldn't be upset about this increased operating expenses, but that really time will tell whether those results pan out. So, just you know, going back to kind of sum it all up good results that this most previous quarter however the company is spending more than expected which has folks selling the stock but if those investments prove out this might be a buying opportunity for long-term investors
1: so you're telling me a growth company is acting like a growth company
2: I, I I guess so you know founder-led company willing to invest uh, where, where they see opportunities out there in the markets and uh, you know willing to take the short-term lumps to uh, to, 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 to make that happen we'll, we'll see whether those investments pay out but but management has said we think that there's opportunities here, and we're going to go after them.
1: Let's let's take a look at some of the the strategy highlights from management. You tell me if any are, are worth investors' attention. Um, one is that it's it's going more into the B two B commerce space. Signing a deal with carrier. They do some HVAC systems. Introducing a ship to store from the spot. Uh, shop, I almost said Spotify. Shopify point of sale which allows brick-and-mortar locations to ship online orders. A little bit of a departure from owning warehouses with Flexport. You've also got, speaking of marketing, Mr. Beast promoting the Shopify app, putting out a video that was uh, by by 40 million views, larger than the biggest audience for the Super Bowl this year. You've also got some AI co-pilots. we got to have AI in there, Nick. You've got AI co-pilots, photo editing tools, that kind of thing. Any of these strategic initiatives worth investors' attention?
2: Well, the, the Mr. Beast one stood out to me uh, just because it dovetails with that management commentary around expanded performance marketing spend, ways to reach more potential customers at attractive prices. That this Shopify Mr. Beast video has over 165 million views helped drive a spike in downloads for the shop app. This collaboration comes after the company did another collaboration with with Drake last year, which presumably must have had some good results to see continued spending. It could be that the expanded marketing spend the company is talking about means we'll see even more of these partnerships to try to juice growth in the business. And If they're seeing good results in the, the, the numbers they're talking about, then that's good spending.
1: Let's talk about the price for a second. In 2021 Shopify traded at a 60x 60 revenue multiple now it's at 15x I say this firmly with my tongue in cheek are you ready to call this a value stock
2: I don't know about a value stock, uh, Ricky, but definitely more in line with where the company has historically traded, really saw a massive multiple expansion in 2020 and 2021. That said, multiple has expanded a bit from where we saw uh, the, the company this time last year. I'd just say it's not a value stock, it's a rule breaker. This is a company that's always traded over 10X sales, Has always look expensive when you just look at the the trailing numbers, but it's also a business that is undoubtedly the top dog in its industry and that continues to expand its market every year. You talk about business-to-business sales. I talked about the offline business growing at a 28% rate. This is not just a company that's captured its market, but is growing, creating new markets year after year. And I think that's the type of company that can continue to beat the market's expectations even when they're very high. And if they can keep doing that, then its best days are still ahead of it.
1: Let's talk about a big deal in the golf community, which I know you're following. So earlier this year, Tiger Woods left Nike. Now he's got a new brand with tailor-made golf equipment it's called sunday red woods is getting his own headquarters designers and staffing looks like it's functioning as its own kind of business tailor-made management confirmed that sunday red is planning to launch a golf shoe early next year if not sooner so you told me this was a big deal and really interesting why is it why is this a big deal
2: Sure. Well, obviously, anytime you hear the name Tiger Woods and golf, it's a big deal. He's the Michael Jordan of the sport. With this Sunday Red brand getting built out, sounds kind of like the Jordan brand for golf, which maybe Nike took a crack at at at, uh, at doing, you know, over the past twenty-seven years. But you know. Wasn't able to have the success um, that they uh, that they hope to have. Uh, clearly, it's why they, they've they kind of reduced investment in the business. Uh, Woods has had a relationship with with TaylorMade going back to 2017. That's when Nike exited the club's business, and so this expands uh, uh, Tiger's relationship with TaylorMade um, uh, into the apparel area. That, that he had retained the, the apparel relationship with Nike even after going to uh, to uh, another club. Manufacturer. But the, this movement into not just an apparel relationship, but TaylorMade now going to launch um, a, a golf shoe as part of this Sunday Red brand early next year, if not sooner. This is a, a segment that TaylorMade currently doesn't operate in. If you go to the, the golf shoe segment of TaylorMade's website, you see like two flip flops and one like old, out of date uh, uh, kind of women's golf shoe from an old uh, collaboration. So this is really breaking into a, a meaningful segment uh, of, of the golf apparel market that, that TaylorMade has not traditionally. Um, operated in, I, you know, I, I follow a company uh, we've talked about here on the podcast. I guess around this time last year, Cushnet Holdings ticker is Golf. They're really the the top dog in this segment with their uh, with their FootJoy brand. That's one that Tiger had been had been wearing on tour since since kind of separating uh, from the Nike apparel relationship. You've seen that stock down about five percent this morning. Concern about well, with this new brand entering into the market, could that uh, could that change competitive dynamics in the space? For my part. I you know, I'd like to see that the Sunday Red brand prove it first. Nike really made lots of efforts to break into the, the golf business and had some issues dedicated golfers tend to stick to the products they like. They're, they're a pretty um, particular bunch. And While dedicated golfers, this, this group is only about 15% of players, they spend about 70% of the dollars in the sport. That's an area where Foot Joy already has some really strong relationships, unlikely to dislodge those, uh, those, those uh, established relationships. However, uh, for new and beginning golfers, really, this, this is an opportunity to, to capture them or to sh- shift golfers away from some other brands. One other thing worth mentioning TaylorMade last year uh, made an investment in PopStroke which is a, a kind of a top golf but a putt putt uh, a version of that that is an area that Tiger's also invested in you could see some some synergies with the Sunday Red Brand and in that investment and the way that top golf tries to push uh, tries to push Callaway products and and Travis Matthew products you could see uh, this this PopStroke uh, retail location being used as a way to try to push the Sunday Red Brand
1: if you were in the TaylorMade boardroom is this a deal you would have gone after? I mean, Tiger was is so I would say is still very is synonymous with Nike. And now you have the, the TaylorMade and their owners, which is the the hilariously titled private equity firm, Centroid Investment Partners, credit where credit is due to their creativity. You know, Tiger's got some risks. He's he's on the tail end of his career and it's, it's going to be really expensive to get him to wear your shoes. Is this you know, is this going to be worth the money?
2: Well, we'll see. I certainly would have kicked the tires on it if I was, again, the Centroid, if I I was tailor-made. Tiger is the most influential, famous golfer in the business, is going to be the one who's most likely to move the the needle for you. it all depends on the price. There are some real risks, though. You mentioned Tiger being at the end of his career. Folks might not remember three years ago, really seriously injured himself in a car accident. Uh, you know, could have ended his his career there. Has had some issues in the past. You know, with operating a motor vehicle. So not only the the career coming to an end. Uh, you know, there, there there are some some risks that uh, some unexpected things could, could happen with Tiger. But I think you know, private equity managed business looking to make a big splash. Maybe this company w- would like to go public at some point in the future. All these types of uh, uh, of uh, the Tiger relationship would be helpful for that. Let's just let's just say that. So uh, you know, there, there's risk to the deal, uh, but I think it's the type of thing that you kind of have to go after if it's presented to you.
1: Nick Sciple, I'm glad you're not at Centroid Investment Partners. I'm glad you're right here at the Motley Fool. As always, appreciate your time and your insight.
2: Yeah, happy to be here with you, Ricky.
1: Ricky Malvi with Motley Full Money here to tell you about a vehicle that is redefining sporting luxury, the Range Rover Sport. The first thing I noticed when I sat down in the driver's seat is that I felt like I was in a cockpit. You're up off the ground in a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. I also really appreciated the overhead 360 degree camera view that let me know exactly where I was going as I was backing out of the parking space. I went for a drive in the Range Rover Sport out in Littleton, Colorado, and tested the accelerator just a little bit and felt the performance and agility. It's an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. To put it plainly, the Range Rover Sport is powerful. It's also quiet and comfortable. Advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable yet. I'd like to invite you to visit LandRoverUSA.com to learn more about the Range Rover Sport. What was your first love? I'm talking about stocks, of course. Allison Southwick, Robert Brokamp, Jason Moser, and Bill Mann caught up for some stock-themed Valentine's Day stories.
0: Valentine's Day is tomorrow. Maybe you're planning to spend it with loved ones. Maybe you're planning to scrunch up your face and say it's a stupid made-up holiday designed to sell chocolates and greeting cards. Or maybe, like us, you're going to pour yourself a glass of something, sit back and reminisce about the big loves of your life the ones that got away, the ones that broke your heart, but stocks. So Bill Mann and Jason Moser are analysts here at the Motley Fool and they are joining us today in studio to share some of their big loves and losses in their investing and in life. Hi guys, thanks for joining us.
3: Addy. I have a question. Well, here
0: we go. We're already <laughs> okay. going off the rails. Didn't right? even say hi. It's like His... I have a question. Yeah, okay, fine. I'm just go so ahead. happy Showing to be it.
3: here. Yeah.
0: That's so, not a question. I know. Okay. So, today
3: is Mardi Gras. And tomorrow is Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. which means tomorrow is Ash, Ash Wednesday, Wednesday and Valentine's Day at the same time. What do our friends in Mobile and New Orleans do? Mm-hmm. Which
4: is more important? Well, for some people, it's a day of fasting. So that does not make for a very romantic.
3: This Valentine's is my point. <laughs> this is my point. Sorry, I just I was thinking about that earlier, and I thought that I would bring it to the Grand Council.
0: Thank you. I have no answers for you, but I'm sure someone in our audience does. All right, no more questions, except the ones coming from me. Are you ready? Yes, ma'am. All right, here we go. First thing I want to know about is your first love, by which we mean the first stock you ever bought. Jason, tell us about that first love.
5: Oh, the first love, the one that I bought first. So, the first stock I ever Bought. Let me think about this for a minute.
0: Uh... Bill, man, why don't you go
3: first? <laughs> he didn't do his homework. So my first love was impetuous. It was irresponsible. It was a little company called Midcom that I thought was going to go to the moon, and it went to the moon, you know, in a very aggressive way. And <laughs> what around. did they do? They what did should Midcom not have do? done
0: this metaphor of love and dating her <laughs>
3: They they lost money is what they did mainly. <laughs> they were super good at it. The second I learned from the first and the second was
5: Berkshire Hathaway.
0: Okay. All yeah. right, that worked out. Good rebound. think that was a good, good rebound. I, 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 a good rebound. Good yeah. Rebound. <laughs> and so
5: I think this is interesting because the first stock I personally bought—it's not the first stock I ever owned because I got gifts from my father along the way—but the first one I ever purchased on my own was Cisco, the Forks and Knives uh, Company. No, 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 no. I'm saying it was the it oh. was the tech company, Cisco, um, and that was back in 2000 2000 uh, ish. You know, so you can do the math. It wasn't really an opportune time to be purchasing. But
0: everyone was talking about like you, you turn know? on CNBC and it was like Cisco, yeah, exactly. Cisco. Exactly.
5: Uh, that that was the first one I ever purchased on my own, and I did that with the assistance of my at the time Edward Jones account representative when my dad. Had opened up that brokerage account, for. so he introduced you guys. He introduced us. He facilitated the relationship. He was the matchmaker. Little did you
3: know that he was actually talking about the Forks and Knives Company, <laughs> and you just didn't pay attention. And do you
4: still own it? Uh, I do not, because I think I it's know. still down from that. I don't think it has ever recovered its price. Wow. from then that. that's a that's a long term buy and hold and cry. And we will come back to this one a little bit later, oh,
0: will we? ok, a little in the, uh, foreshadowing. In, in all the right, episode, yeah, all right. Our next question is, what's your number by which we mean? How many stocks do you own today?
5: My number is complicated. <laughs> It's complicated. He's giving us status updates here. I'm giving you a status. It's,
3: it's it's complicated. Well, I mean, because they're the stocks that you own for your kids, and so um, things of that nature. But my number, my number is 26. Really? Which I understand to be more than some and fewer than
0: most. I mean, it feels a little low, but I mean, I know you're an upstanding guy and a good investor, so I think those are going to be quality 26, right? <laughs> <laughs> I
3: will tell! 20, 20 of them are good six I'm angry at yeah and and I've owned most of them for a very long time
0: How long's a very long time Well Berkshire
3: Hathaway was the second stock that I bought and I still own it so that's more more the case than not the case for me <laughs> All right Jason
5: what's your number Yeah my number right now it's 35 different oh. publicly traded companies now I, I will say I own stock in the Motley Fool because we are fortunate enough to be able to do that um, so thirty six technically, but that's not really true because most people don't have that opportunity to own shares in such a wonderful business as ours. So thirty five, and uh, you know, I, I kind of like Bill. I've always felt like that number could be lower, but as I get older, I kind of default to not selling. Right? I just if it's not working, it's not working. I still want to give it a chance, but it's not something I'm adding to, right? So, so the number does seem to kind of grow a little bit as I get older as well. So, 35.
0: Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like our listeners would be surprised to know that that you you guys are that's how many stocks you own because you work at a company that recommends buying stocks. I would think that you would just be constantly like adding, adding, adding.
5: But I don't know. Well, that'd be nice if we could. But I think it's also always worth remembering that we have internal trading guidelines here that make it a little bit more difficult for us to just be able to buy and sell whenever we want, right? So, because we're in the business of offering advice and writing about those companies, uh, we have those internal guidelines that just make it a little bit more difficult for us to be able to to transact like uh, like our members can.
0: Allison, let me tell you a love story. I I want to hear. That's why we're here. This
3: (laughs) is how this works. Yes, we do recommend companies all the time, but I find. It's the ones that you know for a really long time that sometimes turn out to be better opportunities than the brand new thing, which you don't know as well. It's just shiny and beautiful, and you have not figured out its faults just yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fool's
4: gold. Fool's gold. Yeah. Out of curiosity, are those the only investments you own, or do you also complement that with mutual funds, index funds, anything like that?
5: I do not. Well, I guess I actually do own a little bit in an S and P index fund, but that tends to be kind of a vehicle. It's it's. It, other than that, uh, real estate, I think you know, and, and that's kind of where it where it uh, draws. I'm mean, not no crypto, no gold for me. Just, uh, yeah. Ah, I've got the usual,
3: you know, Panamanian farmland and molybdenum and things like that. I've got some funds on Yeah, those sorts of things.
0: <laughs> All right, our next question is. What's the one stock that you've married, by which we mean a stock that you never see yourself selling out of entirely?
5: Well, I'm sure everybody would be just absolutely flabbergasted to hear that I'm going with McCormick. Here, <laughs> but So I will. Uh, should have just such spicy, an easy a spicy answer tank. for me because it's it's a stock that I've owned for a long time. It's one that I've continued to add to. It as I get older, it fits only more and more into my my retirement strategy with with dividends. Um, you know, dividend aristocrat. I, I assume that at some point here, it will be a dividend king. Um, I will cook as long as my body and mind allow, which Means that my kitchen will always be uh, just stocked with McCormick spices and flavors and whatnot. So yeah,
3: Jason Moser. Hmm? By number of hours, how long has it been since you've consumed something that McCormick makes?
5: Well, I mean, I had dinner last night, (laughs) (laughs) so. That's not a number, but okay.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> I'm not so good with math, Bill. <laughs> All
0: right, Bill. How about you? Which which uh, stock have you married? Jason, can
5: you guess mine? I could I have imagine guessed. Imagine Berkshire Hathaway or Costco. Thank you, yeah. Costco. Yeah,
0: Costco.
3: A couple of weeks, I went in. My wife and I went in to get one item, and we came out with twenty nine.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. And it's just the two of us now, so this isn't. You know, we're not buying useful things for kids running around. It. We just came out with 29 items. And I think about that a lot.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But they were well priced and take up a lot of space. (laughs) These both are true.
3: All
0: right. So this week, because Valentine's Day is tomorrow, we're talking about love. And so our last question for today is. who taught you the most about love? And I'm looking for a stock that taught you your most valuable investing
5: lesson. And it all comes full circle because I go back to Cisco. Okay, let's hear um, this. Let's hear this tale of love. I wrote about this years back when I first got here. Your biggest investing mistakes, right? In my one of my biggest investing mistakes was ultimately investing in something that I didn't. I didn't even know. I didn't understand. I, I did what this representative told me to do. And I just took it at blind faith, and just said, "Okay, no, that sounds great." In in hindsight, obviously, it didn't work out so well, right? It was not the right thing to do. So, so Cisco always stood out to me. And whenever I see that ticker, it's a reminder to me. Make sure you know what you're getting into, right? And so I look at Cisco as one of those ones that always stands out.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Can I provide a Cisco-related lesson Please. someone else? Uh, used to, a fellow who used to be our tax expert on our discussion boards, Phil Marty, um, sadly passed away a few years ago. But he talked about how he held on to Cisco through the dot-com days because he didn't want to pay the taxes on it. Well, the market took care of that because sure. it took care of all those gains, so he didn't have to pay any taxes! Fixed it! Yes. <laughs> so the lesson there, of course, is if, if it's the time to sell something, don't let taxes Uh, Deter you from what is the right move for your situation. If it's time
0: to break up with someone, right? We gotta, we gotta like torture this metaphor.
3: (laughs) This metaphor has gotten too easy. (laughs) Mine is also a tale of woe, and it is basically this: when someone tells you who they are, you should believe them. The company is called Nuance Communications. It was purchased a few years ago. But it was a company that I bought and held forever because they had all of the licenses and technology for voice recognition technology. Back in the day, when, when this was the shiny new thing and you didn't expect your refrigerator to respond to you, they owned, and to this day, their successor company owns all of it. So, they get paid, but their executive team made sure that all of that money stayed within the building of Nuance Communications, and they paid themselves so much money that really nothing ever trickled down to shareholders. And after a while, you just have to realize, and this is what I realized from this relationship, that you have to understand that a management team that does not seem willing to pay down to shareholders, you should believe them and move on.
0: Right? You, I mean, you're putting so much into that relationship, and you got nothing out
3: of it. Nothing,
0: nothing. And they told
3: us, they told me, that's what was going to
0: happen. Personally, they told you personally. They're like, Bill, man, I'm sorry, but listen,
3: yeah, in the middle of the conference call, and Bill, uh, no, no, that you looked at me like I was serious. I'm totally not serious. No, they tell you in things like the proxy statement and you know that's that that's their love letter and it was all about them
0: yeah that's a good one uh, all right well again this week we're talking about love next week you're going to be coming back to talk more about loss we're going to talk about the stock that got away the stock you should have dumped earlier the stock that really broke your heart and that one time you cheated yeah that's right jason
5: I don't understand why you're looking at me. <laughs> okay.
0: You're the one that made the most guilty face. So, maybe nervous, work on that.
5: Nervous tick.
0: <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks.
5: Thank you.
1: Always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. I'm Ricky Mulvey. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.